Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Andy Stein, who is the president and founder of the Orphan Starfish Foundation. And this is a foundation that works with orphans, victims of abuse, victims of trafficking, and victims of poverty. It helps them escape their cycles of abuse and poverty through education, job training, and job placement. They put these computer learning centers in different locations to help people, and it's it's truly incredible. And they've helped thousands and thousands of children uh, since they started in 2001. They're in many different countries now, and Andy is truly an incredible human being. And actually, if you're listening to this episode early on, their foundation is having a gala, which is this week, Friday in New York City, Friday, October 18th. If it's past that date, well, they will have another (laughs) gala at a later time next year as well in October. But please do attend. Check out osf.org to get involved with the foundation. And we talk about how this foundation got started, how this issue is so prevalent and what Andy is doing to help these people. And it's truly remarkable. If you want to get involved again, osf.org. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. Support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast as well. It helps more people find the show. And without further ado, here is Andy Stein from Orphan Starfish Foundation. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So excited to be here. Yeah, and there's so much to discuss, obviously, with your foundation. And the point I want to get started with first is tell people what Orphan Starfish is. So the Orphan Starfish Foundation is dedicated to helping orphans, victims of abuse, survivors of trafficking, indigenous children and at-risk youth worldwide escape their cycles of poverty and abuse through education, basically technology education and job training so that they have a future um, and they have the ability and the tools they need to excel in the world. Awesome. And there's so much to dig into with that. So with this foundation, how did it get started in the first place, Andy? So I'm a recovering banker. (laughs) <laughs> um, I, uh, I was a banker for Chase and its predecessor institutions for many, many years, but my passion's always been working with kids. And I was one of the top flyers in the state of New Jersey for Continental Airlines about 20 years ago. And, um, I basically was sick of getting on airplanes. So I went to every country manager and I asked them to find me an orphanage and a time in their schedule. I was traveling through Latin America at the time. Um, and let me play with some kids and they did. Um, and I was making balloon animals. I was doing magic tricks. I was helping these kids with their homework. I speak Spanish and Portuguese. Um, and then this one orphanage in Chile was a home for some of the worst battered and abused girls, um, you'd ever come across, but they were the most hopeful, loving, amazing kids I'd ever seen. And the third time there, um, the nuns took me aside and they said, look, Tio Mago, uncle magician, the girls love you. They can't wait for their Tio to come home. Um, but I'm not sure if you know what happens here at the age of 18, these girls are considered adults and they have to leave the orphanage with little education and no job training. A hundred percent of these beautiful flowers will become prostitutes or live on the streets. That was my aha moment almost 20 years ago. Uh, I was like never again under my watch. And uh, I set up, I blackmailed the law firm that made the most money of me the year before, had them set up a 501c3 in a week, raised $40,000 from friends and family. And we built together with the nuns a state-of-the-art computer center. Wow. And it was magic. The younger kids became the top of their class. The older kids now had the ability to use the internet. They had skills on the computer. They had Microsoft Office skills. 
and they use those skills to get jobs. And I'm so proud of many, many statistics in the foundation, but in now 18 years since that computer center was opened, only one girl's gone to the streets. Every other girl has gone on to university or gotten a full or part-time job. That's amazing. And and with that too, what I'm wondering is you saw this obviously a horrible situation and wanted to help right away, which is which is incredible. Not everyone necessarily would do that. How did you decide on what the solution would be initially for that? So it's interesting because we did look at a number of different models. I'm, like I said, I'm a banker. I'm very analytic. So I looked at maybe opening a bakery and they could all work in the bakery or opening a hair salon and the girls could all work in a hair salon. But together with the nuns, we decided that that would be very limiting. Not every girl would want to do that. And that's a not as it's a very basic job. So we decided that every possibility would really use technology and that technology was going to be the key. Um, and we chose Microsoft Office because it's the most basic of computer skills that will help get you a job. So if you have the ability in Excel and Word and PowerPoint, you can get a decent job in, in any one of the places that we work. And we started in Chile, but obviously are now in many, many more places. Yeah. And so obviously that gives you the skills then to become so much more, to do so much more. And I'm just curious, what, what other things did you consider? And I mean, you knew technology was going to be a part of this. So you wanted that those basic skills. Uh, and you touched a little bit on this, but I am curious as to what other things you, you were heavily considered because people who want to make a difference, there's obviously so many different ways they can do so. And how did you ultimately really come to that decision through well, because, because it wasn't just this orphanage, right? I was visiting orphanages in Brazil and homes for abused children in Panama and homes in Mexico. Basically, every, every trip I took, I'd visit an orphanage or a home for, for children. And the, the call from each of them was the same. We need to prepare them for life outside of the orphanage. Now, that has we have grown, and there were a number of other things I wanted to do, which we now do. Um, I wanted to teach life skills because none of these kids knew how to kind of take care of themselves when they got out of an orphanage or a home and how do you open a bank account or budget or take care of your health, et cetera. And now we have a program for that. And over time, we've now developed robotics and programming and other things, which we will talk about later. But really, it's the basic computer skills that were going to be the difference. And we're going to be, have the most, um, be the most applicable um, to any job they were going to. So in other words, it didn't limit, I wanted something that didn't limit these children's desires or what they wanted to do in the future. So if they wanted to open a dance studio, well, you need to be able to use Word and Excel to run a business. If they wanted to be a welder, well, you still needed to be able to use these things to do something else. But if they wanted to go to university, knowing how to use a computer, being able to use a computer was incredibly important. And if you wanted to get a job in the, in the you know, white collar world, it's a it's a must. Yes, and and with that too. So you you saw this in, this need and wanted to make a difference. Then how did you get other people involved and a team to help you to really support them? So it's interesting. You know, everything's everything's an adventure. Um, it started. It was just me, and I just wanted to help this group of thirty two girls. And then two or three colleagues slash friends came over and said, "Look, we'd love to help you. Um, have you thought about raising money and and doing that?" And I hadn't. I was just doing this kind of on my own with friends and family. So I got some people on board. They said, well, let me ask some of my friends to do that. And then about 15 years ago, I was doing some work for Marriott. And they called me up and said, look, we want you to take you to that next level. I have on the phone with me the general manager for the Ritz-Carlton downtown in New York. And he's going to give you the best deal he's ever given any human being for a gala. So go ahead. This is now 15 yeah. years ago. Have a gala and try to take it to the next level. And at that gala, we had the vice president of Chile came up 
a friend that just won Miss Universe in Panama, so she was the sizzle. And uh, we invited a couple of kids up who stayed at my house to speak. Did you know? Sold a couple of tables and tickets and raised about a hundred thousand dollars, and then we were able to start scaling. Yeah, and with that too, then. So, what did the scaling part of that look like from there? So the scaling part was interesting. So and I, 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 I don't want to bore listeners with eighteen full <laughs> years, but basically what happened was, as each gala came, we raised more and more money, and as each time we had more and more money, there were basically a waiting list of orphanages or homes that I had visited in my travels that were absolute great candidates. And, and, and our model is basically we take an existing um, facility rather than building something from scratch, an orphanage, a home for abused children, a community center, and we take over one or two rooms and we build a state-of-the-art computer center. And that computer center is going to be used for everything that we do with Orphan Starfish. Um, but we make sure that the place we go into has their clothes, their food, their shelter, their rent payments taken care of so that our program will last as long as we do. Um, so we would go into each, I would go into each country and I'd find, you know, a couple of different programs that had this taken care of. I'd pick the best one and I'd start there. Well, as we raised more and more money, I started doing more and more programs within each country. So in Brazil, now we are, we're up to eight. Um, in yeah. Mexico, we're up to four. Um, and then also then people would, we, the word got around and then people started saying, hey, please come to my country and do this. And I'd find a sponsor or a benefactor that would want to do that or, we just find a great program in that country, and we kept expanding and expanding. Yeah, and a big part of this too seems to be like the partnerships. Then, how do you how do you kind of approach that and decide which which country to go into or which place to go into as you as you do expand? I, I'd love to say this was all planned <laughs> from the very beginning, but um, but you know, life is life is opportunistic, yeah. and um, it, it started again with my visiting these programs, and I had the first kind of nine already lined up. And then it was word of mouth. Um, so programs in which we were working in one country recommended a program in another country. And then it was our supporters basically saying, look, if you would go into X country, you pick the program, but we'll sponsor it. And therefore, you don't have to worry about you know, how you raise funds for it. So between it all, we were able to really kind of take advantage and find the right partnerships in each country and expand you know, organically. Yeah. And as, as you've grown the foundation as well, then what, what kind of have been some of those difficulties or the challenges that you face along the way? Uh, there <laughs> are many, again, we've been around now for 18 years and just, I don't I want to give the plug that, you know, Orphan Starfish now has 64 computer centers in 28 countries around the world and 14,000 children that go through our program at any one That's time. Amazing. Um, you don't get to those numbers without having uh, learning a few lessons, I guess is the best way to say it. So um, kind of different categories. Uh, one is um, political affiliation. We chose early on not to be um, associated with any one religion, any one political group. But early on, there were, you know, obviously I work with the Catholic Church. They were concerned that, you know, there'd be religious teaching or not religious teaching. And we basically made a decision early on um, that we weren't going to have any of that, that it was really all going to be agnostic and it was going to be based on skill set rather than um, anything else besides that. Um, the second is kind of getting the computers. Um, we originally thought we were going to be smart and we were going to take used computers um, and ship them down. Um, we quickly discovered customs, taxes, 
graft and all its other things that kept these computers in the port so that they eventually became worthless. So we had to change strategy, at least initially, and um, buy the computers locally. And yeah. so that's what we did. Um, and, and that has worked out very, very well for us over time. Until recently, when we just signed an agreement with DHL, which is going to provide all of their used computers for our programs going forward, but they could, they'll take care of all the shipping and logistics. Yeah, and, and with that too, then. So early on, obviously, it may evolve over time. But like, what have been kind of your specific roles and responsibilities as you're leading this organization, the foundation? Oh, so when you start a foundation, you're literally everything. You're the head of programming, the head of operations, the head of development. Um, and literally, I would spend more than half yeah. my time begging people for money, um, trying to find the funds because there's, I can go into how we name the foundation, but basically it's, it's that you can only help, you know, so many people in the world. And there's never, I'm never going to run out of orphans or victims of abuse in any of the countries in which I serve or the world. Um, so it's trying to help as many as we possibly can. And that means raising funds. So the majority of, not the majority, but more than half the time um, was spent courting corporates, courting high net worth individuals, courting friends and family to raise the funding so that we can open more centers and do more with the kids in those centers. Um, then it was programming. It's, it's deciding how you, obviously getting the base Microsoft Office in every program, but as these kids expand, um, what programs do you offer them next um, and how do you do that? Um, and then it's... Um, you know, marketing, it's PR, it's, it's a little bit of everything. And then over time, you develop, we develop the infrastructure so that we now have a director of operations, a director of development, a director of marketing, a director of treasury, um, so that we can be more effective and keep our incredible um, percent, low percentage of uh, expenses. Yeah, and that seems to be one of the biggest challenges with, with, with a charity, with a nonprofit, is having the the percentage of expenses or money that goes completely to the cause versus going to supporting. Like, how do you kind of approach that, that process? So my goal, because again, with my background in finance, I wanted to keep that number as low as absolutely yeah. possible, but also acknowledging that you have to have an infrastructure in place. There's a, there's a wonderful Ted talk about people would never want char to run charities the way they run their businesses. Um, because everyone wants the hundred percent of their dollar to go directly to the kids. And that's just not realistic. We keep our, 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 our 11 cents of every dollar goes to overhead. Everything else goes directly to our kids. That's an incredible ratio to make sure that we get everything done correctly. Um, but you also work with a lot of in-kind donations, a lot of um, volunteers. For instance, we only have five people at head office, only three of which get paid. Everyone else, until you get to the program level, is volunteer, which includes every country manager in all 28 country, in all twenty eight countries that volunteer their time to oversee the programs, to do all of the work, et cetera, and includes a number of volunteers in New York um, and a number of volunteers with our gala. Yeah, and how do you how do you organize all, all the different volunteers? I mean, there's, there's different people put in place over time as the foundation has has grown, but and with that too, are you always kind of searching for more help or people kind of more so come to you organically? How does that kind of work? You know, you know, we're actually very, very fortunate. You know, the people who've been with us, we don't really have turnover, <laughs> um, uh, at least yeah. at the country level. Um, you know, we had one person have to leave the country and one person unfortunately passed. But um, for the most part, the country managers who start with us are the country managers that are currently in place. The program directors, pretty much the same. These people are dedicated, have dedicated their lives to the children they serve. 
So for the most part, we've had a few where we've had a change, but mostly yeah. they're together with us. And I head office, yeah, we've, I mean, as I brought on more people, um, again, it's not a, it's only five, but, you know, we brought on our development head last year and that's already paid dividends. Um, but, you know, we grew it organically. We grew it, you know, country by country, program by program, but making sure that the infrastructure and the, the ethos was in place that we could replicate it without kind of overburdening ourselves. Yeah. And you mentioned then too, a little bit earlier, the name, we'll get into that. So where does Orphan Starfish found? Where's that name come from? So the name's from a beautiful parable about um, there's a, a giant storm and thousands of starfish wash up on a beach and they're all dehydrating. A little boy walks along the beach and he's throwing them one by one back in the ocean. An old man walks by and says, kid, what are you doing? There's no way you're going to save all these starfish. He takes one, throws it in the ocean and says, well, I saved that one, didn't I? And the moral is that, like I said, I'll never run out of orphans or victims of abuse or indigenous children anywhere in the world. Um, but I started with 32 beautiful young women and now we're up to 14,000 children around the world. Yeah, which is which is so incredible. And one thing I'm wondering too, with obviously there's so many people to help and such a, such a big need around the world. I mean, how do you think about the long-term vision of what the foundation will be versus then being in the day-to-day of trying to make progress every single day? Well, I think, you know, I think it's important when you run any business or foundation to take steps back and, and, and kind of look at a longer term vision as well as kind of to step out of getting mired in the day to day. And we do that on a, on a regular basis. We take time and we take a look and say, look, what do we want to do? Where do we want to be next? Um, We're fortunate. We have kind of a, a nice pipeline of new programs and new countries that once we have funding, we can start. Um, we also have new initiatives that we've started and piloted in a number of programs that once we have funding, we can expand. So we've expanded into robotics um, using Lego Mindstorm and Arduino. We've expanded into coding. Um, we've expanded into English language with Rosetta Stone. We've expanded into that life skills program I spoke to you about. Um, and we are starting to work with Adobe products as well. So we have those piloted in one or more programs. And the goal is when we get funding to expand those out as well. Awesome. And and one thing that you mentioned too, obviously your time being spent, you know, initially fundraising so much and then, you know, courting people to have, to get to donations and everything with that too. But then what have been maybe some of the best ways to get the word out about the foundation to really get the name out there more so you can help more people? Um, wonderful podcast like this one. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and, and honestly, it's really been mostly word of mouth. We, the one position we, we've never really filled as a PR position. Um, and we haven't had much luck with outside PR folks. Um, where the, I always joke we're the best charity that no one's ever heard of. Um, <laughs> that changed a little bit. CNN did a three part series on our work in Colombia, and that got our profile much, much higher than it had been in the past. And we've been covered by a number of, of press and media since and, our website, osf.org, which I'll tell you a couple of times, yeah. has all of that on it. Um, but it's it's really word of mouth. It's, um, you know, our, we have our big gala every October. It's actually coming up this Friday. Um, and that has about 500 people from New York that come and they they get the word out as well. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 again, that's why I'm so thankful for, the, for you having me on today. Um, this affords us the opportunity to reach even more people about what we do and how we do it. Yeah, which is which is so important. And and looking back too, obviously there's there's many as many many years of you know trying to grow this foundation. But what would you tell someone who's 
trying to maybe start their own foundation, obviously, or sees a need and learn from your lessons, what would you maybe mention to them trying to start something? So I actually, I, I take great pride in mentoring a lot of um, young folks. I'm not that old, but a lot of young folks who do want to start a charity and, and learning from the pitfalls of others. And I guess the pitfall always is, and I see it often, is you can have so much passion about what you want to do, but it has to be done professionally. Um, and that's the biggest problem. If you see foundations that go under, it's, because it's not because their heart isn't there. It's because they haven't put in the infrastructure, they haven't put in the, the backbone to make sure that what they want to do will last um, as much as possible. Um, and then the, the next piece is get great people around you. Get people with the, great, the same passion and heart that you have because you're going to run into pitfalls. You're going to run into bumps along the road. And as long as you all share that same vision and the same passion and the same desire, you will absolutely make it through. And then lastly is life is for millennials like my kids, life isn't always immediate. Um, this is 18 years in the making and certainly there were good years and, and more difficult years. Um, but keeping building that, that, that foundation um, and making sure that that foundation is in place is so important because then you can really reap the benefits as you expand. Yeah. And just to go a little bit deeper, if people are wondering through them, what does kind of the infrastructure or that foundation look like? Maybe what are some of those components for people to be thinking of when they're starting, trying to start a nonprofit? Sure. I can go nuts and bolts all, all yes. the way down to the studs if you'd like. Love to. Um, all right. So basically, you know, again, the first thing you need to do is is set up your 501c3. It's very difficult to raise money unless you have the official tax deductible um, foundation of that. Yeah. Um, it's not as hard as it used to be, I get from what I understand. Um, I did mine right around 9-11 when it was extremely difficult. Um, but, um, but, you know, consult a nonprofit attorney or a nonprofit expert to make sure that all your papers are filed and and you have the right nonprofit status, and that will help you with tremendously in getting that. The second is create a board. Um, that board doesn't have to be the greatest board in the history of mankind to start. My board when I started was just a few friends in the industry. Um, but make sure you have people around you that have expertise that can guide you, and whether that expertise is fundraising and they have connections, or whether it's running a business or um, you know, running an orphanage, however you want to do it, that you have people on your board that, that really can help you along the way. Um, and, you know, push them a little bit to make sure that they're committed to the foundation as well. And whether that's a give get of a certain amount of money or they have to do a certain amount of work on the board, make sure that your board kind of definitely is invested as well in what you're doing. And then take a look at your model um, and keep always take a look at your model and always look at how you can make your model better. Um, your first project is not going to be exactly like your second, which won't be exactly like your third, which won't be like your hundredth. But if you can put together, and my whole thing was repli replicable. Yeah. If you can put together something that's a great model um, and focus on that model when you start, don't try to be to all things to all people. Focus on that model, make that model as strong as you possibly can, and then expand that model. That's awesome. And then there's obviously so many, so many details you need to know, but I think getting started and having the foundation in place is, is clearly such a important part of any nonprofit, any business at all, really. And, and going back to the actual people you're helping, you met, you started in 2001, difficult time to obviously start a foundation. 
how have you seen the kids progress then over the years and what has that experience been like? Oh, it's, it's magic. It's pure magic. And, um, you know, those first group girls I met 18 years ago are now, um, 30 something year olds with their own families, with their own jobs. Um, we have, I think I told, I don't know if I mentioned, we have a 90% success rate, 90% of the kids who go through our programs and graduate, go on to either go into university or get a full or part-time job. And I have story after story of young women who are victims of abuse, who are victims of violence, who are victims of trafficking, um, young boys as well, who are now young women and young men with families of their own, um, in great, great jobs. Um, I tell the story of a young girl from Chile who was beaten worse than any record in the newspaper, anything recorded in the newspaper, who's now gone on to be a bank executive, have a house of her own, have a baby of her own, have a family of her own, and credits this crazy gringo bringing crazy computers to, to her orphanage when she was nine with changing the course of her life. And I have story after story after story all over the world of kids who were destined for prostitution or gangs or living on the streets who are now doctors and lawyers and nurses and computer scientists and bankers um, that all wonderfully give back as well. Yeah, and then imagine there's so many different stories of of the success and with 90% success that's that's incredible and obviously you're making a huge a huge difference which is which is amazing. And and as you're now, so today, what are some of the things that you're working on, you're focused on as you're trying to go Orphan Starfish Foundation? So the, the first thing we always focus on, my life hasn't changed that much, is is raising funds so we can do more. Um, and we do that now not only through our big gala, but we have events in, uh, we'll have events all over the U.S. and internationally, and we do grants and, and high net worth giving. Um here, I'll do my plug. We have a big gala coming up in October. Actually, coming up. It's coming up this Friday. It's October 18th in New York City at Cipriani Wall Street. Um, John Payne and the band Asia will be playing. We fly up eight of our kids to be honored that evening, and they tell their stories, and it's incredibly uplifting. Um, and that's a major source of our financing. Any ideas in terms of other fundraising ideas, please let me know. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. But then the focus is on, you know, Obviously, fundraising, that's, like I said, 51% of my life. The other 50% of my life, 49% of my life is, is programming. So the real focus is twofold. One is to really grow our offerings of what we give the kids um, in our programs. So as I mentioned earlier, we're expanding our robotics program. We want to expand our coding program. We want to expand our Adobe software training program. We want to expand our life skills program so that we cover all 14,000 kids in our network. Um, geographically, we are uh, expanding to countries that we're not in and within countries we are already. A major focus, I don't know if I spoke about yet, is we want to take our success internationally back home. So we chose um, children who have historically had the most difficult time here in the U.S., and that's Native Americans. They have the highest rate um, per capita um, of abuse, of alcoholism, of drug abuse, et cetera. And we really wanted to try to change that with the hope that our technology centers bring. And we currently are in six different nations in the U.S. and Canada. And our goal is to truly expand that across the U.S. and Canada as we get more support to do that. Um, and then um, expand the network. Expand. We have something called the Young Professionals Association, with, which is kind of our 
40 under 40, uh, but it's more than 40, <laughs> of people who are want to help and want to make a difference. And maybe they can't give thousands or millions of dollars, but they have their own way they can support. And then also looking for celebrity support, not so much to raise money, just to raise awareness. Yeah, and raising awareness is is the number one thing people know about. You said you're the best foundation people Absolutely. don't know about, but we're trying to change that is is the goal here as well. And and then with that too, with with all the different kind of competing priorities on on your time, how do you decide which things that you should be working on on a day to day basis? Oh, I wish I could decide. <laughs> <laughs> Those decisions are made for me. Um, no, I mean I always thought that some side of you know. For strategic thinking every day, I try to set aside kind of an hour to do that. But um, but as you know, in business or in philanthropy, your day is determined kind of when you wake up and and open up your emails. Um, it just depends what kind of you know, try to get through what you can in each day, and then you try to implement your plan each day as well. Um, yeah, and, so. and just one more time, kind of going back to this, uh, I just want to know if there's anything else you would, anything else you'd mention to someone who is trying to start a foundation, or just who wants to get involved in some in a nonprofit in some ways, or anything else you'd kind of mention to them, or kind of feedback you give to them. Yeah, and, and I, I'll go a high yeah. level and a low level. The high level is follow follow your passion, follow your passion, whatever your passion is. If your passion is helping orphans, if it's helping animals, if it's helping the environment, follow your passion. There are really great ways and great foundations out there, including ours, that, that really make a difference and that you can do through that. If you really have the gumption and want to start your own foundation, do that. Um, but no, it's going to be a, a little, little more work. It's going to be a little harder, but it will be as if not more rewarding. Um, on, a, on a lower level is just commit every day to make a difference in the world. Um, however you can, whether it's walking someone across the street or joining a foundation or raising money or volunteering, you can always every day make a difference with your life and it could lead to something very big or it could be very small that will, you don't know how big it's going to get. Um, but you know, follow your passion and, and make a difference as much as you can each day. With, with, with this company. So you started it as you were still working a full-time job. So how did you manage the, the two things then with, with it as well? That's a that's an interesting thought. So um, in, the, in the CNN piece, I, I speak about my journey. So my journey was this was really only supposed to be something where I was helping 32 yeah. incredible kids out. And I was a very successful, very good investment banker, financing roads, bridges, tunnels, tunnels, ports and airports, and then eventually financing high end hotels around the world. Um, and this was just my passion that I was pursuing with 10 percent of my time. Well, as life would have it, it took then 20% of my time, 30% of my time, 40% of my time. When it hit 50, I left formal banking and started a consulting company where I could spend 50% of my time consulting, 50% of my time doing this. In, um, and then in 11, I just gave up, figured out that this was my calling in life. Money was overrated um, and that I would dedicate myself to this for the rest of my life. And I have. Um, it's very difficult to balance um, but it's, it's doable to a point. You know, again, if I was volunteering in another charity, if I was, you know, and there's so many people that support me that, that support the foundation that have full-time jobs and occasionally go and visit the kids and things like that, that's absolutely an incredible way and something that many foundations need um, is that financial support. Um, and they also need the volunteer support if you can't do it full-time. But um, yeah, it, it, 
it's doable up to a certain point, And then after a certain point, you just yeah. have to make a decision. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering though, too, because that's not necessarily, maybe it is an easy decision, but it might be difficult to get to that point. What helped you? <laughs> oh my God. No, it, 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 was, it was not an easy decision at, at all. Um, and, and there are costs with that. It, it cost me a marriage. It cost me some other things as well. Um, but you, again, my motto is you follow your passion. Um, I never thought that we could make this much of a difference in so many lives around the world. Um, and it remains, if you can't hear it, I'm not doing a good enough job. It remains my passion that gets me up every day. Um, incredibly happy to be alive, incredibly happy to be making a difference. And then seeing the difference, I just got back from visiting one of our star students from the Dominican Republic who became a star volleyball player and got a full boat scholarship um, here in the U.S. And listening to her speak and listening to her talk about her experience um, just reinforced kind of the decision I made was the right one. Yeah. And what what an impact you, you've made through this, through the Orphan Starfish Foundation. And I'm sure many more lives will be impacted as you move forward and it continues to grow. And I appreciate all the advice you mentioned and everything and appreciate you coming on the show. And Thank you so much. Is there any, where can people go to learn more about what you're doing and get involved in any, any capacity? So our website's really easy. It's osf.org. And what I tell people is old spaghetti factory has.com. So it's an easy way to remember OSF. Perfect. Um, dot org. Um, and on our website is everything that you can find about our events that are coming up, ways to donate online, videos, pictures, program descriptions. It's really a great way to kind of, get involved and see what we need to do. Um, and my email, if you need it, is really easy as well. It's andy at osf.org. Awesome. Andy, thank you so much for the time today. and wish you all the best with it. We'll be involved, I'm sure, more going forward. But thank you. Thank you. And thank you for what you do with this podcast and in, in, in getting the word out, not only on corporate and, and business, but on philanthropy. And thank you for making a difference in the world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.